So we're continuing our series uh, in mental health, and I want to encourage you to uh, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to look at 16 through 18, those verses uh, this evening, or this, this evening, boy, I'm really good here, uh, this morning, uh, and so I encourage you to uh, look at verses 16 to 18, uh, and we're going to go over those. Uh, before we get into the passage, I want to just think a little bit about this issue of emotional health, emotional pain. Our society is covered up with it. Our society is simply covered up with emotional pain. Some of you, even today, are coming with some emotional pain, right? I mean, you're here this morning and people ask you how you're doing. You say fine, but you're really not fine. You're really struggling this morning. You find yourself in a dark place. And we sang about that, that Jesus is enough and he can, he's, he can take away those dark places, those places that we fear, but yet we're still there and we find ourselves back there again. And we wonder, how are we going to get out? Are we going to always struggle with this? And some of those pains are very deep. Some of those pains nobody would ever really understand except you because you're going through it. Even somebody who's gone through something similar, you realize it's not the same as what you're going through. As a pastor, I've helped and gone on a journey with a lot of our church family over 34 years. I've experienced a lot of pains with people. I've, 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 I've sat at the side of a, a, a bed where, uh, where a father's begging his son to come back and his son dies. And we do the funeral a few days later. There are times, there are things that, that I have dealt with personally as well. And, and we look at these different things, and yet it may be different than what you've dealt with. And so you think, they, they don't understand. And then when somebody finally does come along that understands, you find yourself really uh, using the same language, and it's like they understand you. And, and you realize that that's going to be some of the case in our journey in this life. But know this, don't mistake the fact that somebody doesn't understand your journey mean that they can't take that journey with you because they want to walk that journey with you. We have a church family, a loving church family that cares about one another and wants to take that journey with you even as imperfectly as we do. And so never, never, please never feel alone. God is with you ultimately, but you have a church family, a community of believers who love you. This last week in the news, in the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been a football player, Antonio Brown, who's been in the news. He was a Pittsburgh Steeler, and it didn't work out there, and he got traded to the Oakland Raiders, and the Raiders had him for a very short time, and, and then they traded, or they got rid of him, and then the New England Patriots picked him up, and then they dropped him again. And, and now he's, here's a guy who grew up with some very deep pains in his very early years. And, you, and, and we tend as a society to look at him and say, come on, man, get your act together. You're 31 years old. You need, to, you need to get it together. And you think, wait a minute, stop when we think that. There's a reason why a guy's willing to give up $45 million in endorsements and salary for a single season because of the deep pain that he has inside, that that's more important than that 45 million. I mean, think about that. And you realize at that moment, there's something more going on. There's, somebody needs to come alongside that guy. Somebody needs to love that guy and, 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 and help him through that journey. And yet our tendency is, is to judge and instead of to help. And we realize there's some significant hurts and pains. 
Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys has uh, had a, an injunction on his brother Aaron because his brother Aaron threatened to kill his pregnant wife and unborn child. Think about the pain that's in that family. They're brothers, and yet and, and one of them's dealing with what he said in a show, multiple personality disorder, schizophrenia, acute anxiety, manic depression. He later recanted on that, but the producer said, no, that's what he said. Pee-wee football game, Eastern Hills Elementary School. A shooting. Why would you have a shooting at a football game, we would think, and you think, something's going on there. We see it in our culture. We see all the different people who are going into places where they worked and they were fired, and now they're coming back in and, shoot, and, be, and shooting up the place. And we think there's some deep emotional pains that we need to begin to understand, and we need to be able to help. Our college students go through incredible stresses financially with the news that they see about what's going in our culture and, and not really good answers that are coming forth from our politicians. And they're thinking, what can be done? How can this change? And there's these stresses that go on. They're going through financial stresses like I never faced. I was able to work my way through college. You can't do that anymore. It's too costly. And so they get out and they have all this, this financial debt to start life with. And you think, what an incredible stress they face. And we look at our lives and we look at our world and we look at our culture and we look at our families and we see pain written all over all of them. And we wonder, does God care about my pain? And the answer is yes, deeply. He deeply cares about the pain that each of us face emotionally. And he wants to restore you. He wants to, the Prince of Peace wants to bring peace into your life. The one who died and was crucified us wants to redefine your life, not by your pain, but by what he's doing in and through it. That's how he wants to define our lives. And we need to allow him to do that. And when we think about our lives and where we're headed We need to allow him to crush us, him to break us, him to change us, him to transform us. And in the midst of that, we need to not lose heart. How do you not lose heart in the midst of all of that? That's what Paul is dealing with here in this passage. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians in verse 16, he starts out and simply says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And I'll read it. I'm going to read the passage, but I want to go back and think through some of this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, and we think that doesn't seem light or momentary at the time, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. There's some great truths in this passage that can really help us at these moments of great pain. First is, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. That's not the first time that he said that in the passage. If you go to the, chat, the, to the first verse in the passage of 2 Corinthians 4, it says, therefore, since through God's mercies we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So you realize that's what he's talking about this whole chapter. He starts a chapter there, ends the chapter there. That's his focus. So how do I make sure? How is, why is he saying don't lose heart? Because they're in the process of losing heart. 
The Corinthians are in the process of losing heart. It's real easy for us when we're going through pain to say, God doesn't care, and I'm wondering if, if he has the answers, and maybe there's some other answers out there, and we hear somebody else give us what sounds like a better answer, and we go, I'm, I think I'm going to choose that answer because this one doesn't seem to be working because it's taking time. And he deals with the issue of time in that verse 16. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day by day. So he's not talking about eternity. He's not talking about that one day when he comes and when he, boom, we're changed. We're transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We shall all be changed. I can't wait for that moment. I don't like the day-to-day -day stuff, Right? I don't like, in fact, when you look at this passage, you think, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And then he says, inwardly are wasting away, I mean, outwardly, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. He talks about this inward renewal in the verse before chapter 4. So if you go to chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And you realize, hey, he's saying the same thing. He's using different words, so it's restatement. It's not simple repetition. It's restatement saying the same thing using different words. And the word he uses there is transformed. The one in our passage is renewed. The, the word that he, uh, the, uh, day by day is ever-increasing. It's a moment-by-moment moment thing. It's ongoing. It's not instantaneous. If we're expecting instantaneous, a quick fix or whatever, that ain't happening. But Jesus died. He was crucified on a cross. Not only to save me eternally, but to transform me. Into what? What does he want to make me like? Into his likeness. 3.18. Into his likeness. He's transforming us into his likeness. So what is that? What does that look like? What is he starting with? He tells us what we're starting, he's starting with in verse 7 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What treasure? You back up in the passage, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It's that treasure that we have. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We have God incarnate living inside of us. We have the Spirit of God residing inside of us. We have the gospel of Christ that Christ came and died for us because I couldn't get myself to heaven. I couldn't work hard enough to earn heaven. I couldn't be good enough. If, I, if that's what I'm dependent on, I'm lost. I've lost everything. When, when I die, I will not be in heaven with God if I'm depending on me because I'm not enough. But God is enough and he cares so much for us that he died on a cross Jesus died on a cross so that we could have not only eternal life, but this transformation of life that's going to happen day by day with ever-increasing glory. And we have in these jars of clay, in our lives, this incredible, 
incredible treasure. He calls it a treasure, this treasure. So I have this treasure, and this treasure, what's the purpose of it? To show. So I have this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, the Spirit of God, residing in this jar of clay in order to show something. It's not just for me. It's in order to demonstrate what? That this all-surpassing power, that I have all-surpassing power in me, is from God and not us. And you go back to chapter 3, verse 18, that passage we looked at before, it says, the ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God bringing all power into our lives. We can't say, I don't have enough power. I don't have enough strength. I have all the strength of God inside of me. Yeah, I don't have enough strength, but I have his strength residing in me. Think about that. Anything that I need to face, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not just a simple platitude. That's not a simple platitude from the Apostle Paul because he's going through difficulty. This whole book is, is, is his testimony of the struggles he was facing in life, his mental health issues, if you will. In chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about our hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, so he is dealing with stress. Far beyond our ability to endure. So he's, being, he's dealing with being overwhelmed with life. So that we despaired even of life. So despair was even on his life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. I'm not even sure what that is exactly. But you look at that and go, man, he was under it. What does he talk about after this treasure in, the, in jars of clay? He says in verse 8 of chapter 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In chapter 6, he says, we put no, this is verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry may not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance and troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger. And you, you go, wow, he's facing all these things. Here, the same context, it's his testimony. Chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 6. Chapter 12, uh, he, he talks about, he says, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing great revelation that was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There again, the idea of power. There again, the idea of weakness. And Paul is very transparent in his life, I'm struggling, I'm dealing with difficulties. And so when we meet somebody, we need to understand, yeah, they may say they're fine on the outside, but in the inside, there may be a struggle that you would not understand even if they told you. And yet you still need to be there, still need to care. We don't need somebody judging us about it. We need somebody just encouraging us to, to hang in there, to not give up, to not give up the ship, to not lose heart, to not lose focus on what God is doing in our lives. Because we are simply jars of clay. Now, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about a a, a Something that my wife shared with me, she shared with me that uh, is in the women's study. Uh, they're reading a book by uh, Lisa, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I guess I just won't. Uh, but you, you look at her, 
uh, this, this quote by her, and it's incredible, and I'll sit there and if I can find it here. Uh, this quote, uh, it's, it's in the book, uh, it's not supposed to be this way. Finding unsuspected strength when disappointments leave you shattered. I mean, incredible title, dealing with emotions and dealing with those things that, that are difficult in life. And she says this, she says, when we are crushed to dust, we don't understand what God is doing. It's hard to hold dust. What was once something so very precious is now reduced to nothing but weightless powder. Even the slightest wind could carry away. We feel desperately hopeless. Dust begs us to believe the promises of God no longer apply to us. We're tempted to lose heart at that moment. That the reach of God's uh, fall uh, falls just short of where we are. And that the hope of God has been snuffed out by the consuming darkness around us, which we know isn't true, but we struggle with. We want God to fix it all, edit the story so it has a different ending, repair this heartbreaking reality. But what if fixing, editing, and repairing isn't at all what God has in mind for us in this shattering? What if this time God desires to make something completely brand new? Right now, on this side of eternity, no matter how shattered our circumstances may seem, dust is the exact ingredient God loves to use. Because he formed us from dust. He loves to use dust. And that, that quote made me go back and look at this, these words that Paul uses here. Because he says, yet in, inwardly we're being renewed. You know what the word renewed means? It means made new again. Made new again. And the, uh, the word that's used in 318 is are being transformed into his likeness. The word transformed is metamorphosized. It's used in the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is with three of the disciples and, and he just changes and he's, in, he's glowing and he's, he's, he's uh, incredibly, he's in his glory and you kind of go, whoa, what's happened here? Transformation and renewal made new again. So I started thinking about this. What is my pic picture in my head of this renewal? I picture this, right? I'm broken and God repairs me. He puts me back together. But what if that is not the picture that we should be thinking of in terms of renewal? What if this is the picture we're supposed to have? Now you think, what does it take to go from this Broken, and this looks like something that I would put back together, right? You stick it together, you try to glue the pieces together, it still leaks like a sieve, it doesn't work quite right, and you think, no, this is what really needs to happen. What am I being renewed to? Image of Christ. Is this the image of Christ that I'm being renewed to? Piece back together? Or is this the image? And I was like, oh wow. I think I'm thinking repair rather than renew. What does it take to get from that one pot to this one? It takes this. That in the hand of the potter, he breaks up the pottery. I looked at some, uh, some uh, on, online sites of reclaiming pottery. There's whole sites that are, de that are devoted to reclaiming pottery, taking old pottery, and you crush it up into a fine powder. And I was thinking, Lord, I don't want you to take me through that. <laughs> I don't want to be there. I just want to be 
here. Can you just kind of make that happen? And not this day to day as we see in the passage and not this ever increasing. I kind of like instantaneous. You know, give me a little pill, take it, and then I'm like this. No, it takes this. And I can tell you I don't ask for this. I never would ask for this, crushing to powder. But God, in his love, allows me to be crushed and then water added and to begin to reform and make. And he begins to shape and carve away and there are painful things that he carves away in order to produce what he has in mind for our lives. Something incredibly beautiful as we think about this passage, it says, for our light and momentary troubles. And they don't seem light or momentary, do they? But you know, whenever I get older, I look back on some of the things that I thought were troubles in my life, and many of them weren't so much. Not as big a deal as, as I thought. There are some that are still pretty big deals. It says, are achieving. So these troubles are achieving something. What are they achieving? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This far outweighs being just repaired. Because he wants to renew. He wants us to have an incredible change in our lives. He wants us to be different. And so I don't choose the crushing. But when it happens, how I respond is going to determine a lot. I can either fight the Lord on it or I can allow him to change me and say, God, I'm yours. Do with me what you will. There are times in my life when I've come to that point and I'm on my face before the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, this, this is killing me. This hurts. But Lord, I'm yours. You died for me. Do with me what you will. I am yours. I am your servant. I, you are the potter. I am the clay. I want your will for my life. When I'm praying, I want your will. I may be praying for crushing and not even know it. And yet I want this transformation. I want this day-to-day. -day. Why, why does he do this day-to-day -day crushing? He tells us, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show it that this surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's to show the world what God is doing. It's to draw people to him. It, my crushing, if my crushing causes one person to, to embrace him and to respond to his call in their life, then I want that to be. Because I'm only here for 70 years. I'll be with him for eternity. And it's light and momentary in comparison to the glory. We have no idea the glory. We don't realize the glory. If we realize the glory, we would want to go there now. And we realize how little we understand of the glory because we just want the pain to go away. And the Prince of Peace will do that. And it's going to be little by little now. And it's going to be instantaneous when we're with him. And I desire that in my life. And so what that means is, is that he's going to be changing me. He's going to be transforming me. And, and he's going to transform me into the image of Christ, including Christ's emotions. As I was thinking about this issue of emotions, I started thinking, wait a minute. That means that my emotions will look like Christ's emotions, right? So what are his emotions became the question in my mind. And I, I started doing this study on the emotions of Christ. Oh my gosh. 
I started realizing this, this is a big study. I wish I had more time with this. This is something I would encourage you to maybe take some time and begin to look at the emotions of Jesus. Now, some of them we don't have. There's some emotions that we're kinda, we kind of struggle with we, we don't exactly have. We have plenty of passages on the compassion of Christ. It says that he looked on them with compassion. Uh, he... he uh, uh, we see this, uh, this idea of compassion. We see this idea of anger. He got angry at the, at the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders. Uh, he got angry in the temple when they were, they were uh, selling things and they were keeping out the Gentiles from, from worshiping and praying to God and they were distraction to them. He was sorrowful and troubled, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wept when he saw uh, 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 Mary and Martha and knew that Lazarus had died. And some think, one commentary I read said that the reason that he was sad and weeping was not because of Mary and Martha, but because he was bringing Lazarus back to a world of pain and trouble. I went, wow, I had never thought of that perspective. I thought of Lazarus maybe being ticked at Jesus for bringing him back, but uh, he was in great agony, so much so that he dripped great drops of blood. In Isaiah 53, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so I think about this grief and I thought, did he ever have joy? He had joy. Uh, he rejoiced when he sent out the 72, Luke 10 tells us. Uh, he he uh, had joy. In fact, in, in Hebrews 12, it says that uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So he was, he was feeling shame. He was despising that. And yet he was looking forward to the joy that was coming. Psalm 16, 11 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Don't you think that was true of Jesus on this earth too? That in his presence was fullness of joy. In fact, there's a passage that talks about the fact that the people delighted in listening to him. In Mark 12, 37, he's, he's saying, David himself calls him Lord. How can he then be his son? The large crowd listening, uh, listened to him with delight. He was fun to listen to. And I was thinking, you know, we, we tend to have kind of a monochrome Jesus where we, uh, we've allowed actually the... Uh, uh, the movies uh, uh, that we have seen of Jesus on the big screen kind of uh, uh, create an image for us of Christ. And, and, and that image isn't always an accurate one. And so we need to understand what does the scripture really say about him? One of the questions that I've had is, is there joy? Do you ever laugh? And I think, gosh, if you're around kids very much, you're going to be laughing, right? And, and kids love to be around him. He saw kids a lot. I was thinking about the fact that he, he must have smiled at least whenever he was with the disciples in, 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 in the boat and they said, or, or he's looking at them and he said, they said, you know, they're coming to him and, and he says, you know, I uh, said, Master, we've been fishing all night. We got nothing. And he says, you know, just throw your nets on the other side. And they're like, you're a rookie, man. We're, we're the expert seasoned pros. We, we know this stuff. I mean, you know that they probably didn't say that, but they may have been thinking it. And so with the, probably a little exasperation, they throw the nets out one more time just for Jesus' sake. And then they can't bring them in. They're so heavy. Don't you think Jesus smiled a little bit at that moment? I love this image in the Passion of the Christ, obviously a very... Difficult movie to watch. 
very painful. I wept through much of that movie. But this one scene was, was kind of a neat picture of Christ too. And it was a picture that you kind of think, oh, I don't know if that really happened. You know, he's, he's making a table, the typical table in Jewish circles where you had something in the middle and the disciples laid on couches and leaned in and then they were on one elbow and they were feeding through that. And so you think that was the image of tables. Maybe the Roman table of a triclinium, but usually you were seated and it was a low table. It wasn't high. So here he is creating this in this uh, movie, creating a high table, and, and he's explaining it to his mother Mary. And I love, notice the laughter and the lightheartedness of Christ in this. I think, is this an image that we kind of miss about Christ? Because we know that there's, that John tells us not everything's been recorded. Uh, I don't know that this was an actual scene, but uh, watch this one with me. It's in Hebrew, but they have subtitles. I love that scene. It shows a playfulness, a respect for his mom, and yet playful at the same time. And I think, is that an image we miss? Because we tend to have a little more monochromatic view of Christ. In fact, there was one author that I read that said that, that, uh, there, that gospel writers created this colorful kaleidoscope of emotions that, that Jesus had. And I, and I thought, man, I think that this is a study that might bear a little bit more uh, a time uh, in looking into. And so as I looked at this passage and I, and I think about this, I think, oh, say, what's the takeaway then? If, if these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, what do we do? Well, he tells us what to do in verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Stop there. What is that? It's easy to say that. What is that? What does that look like? What that looks like is, is, is whenever I'm going through a difficulty that I think about Jesus and I think about the unseen, which is at this point Christ himself, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of faith, is what the author of Hebrews tells us. I fix it on the unseen. Lord, this is a difficulty. Okay, unseen, what are you doing? Where is your hand at work, Lord? I think we miss the Lord's hand at work because we're not looking for it. I think that, you know, the old, the little game that we used to play growing up, I spy, I spy and we say something and then everybody else has to figure out what it is that we, we spy. I think we need to play that game with ourselves on a daily basis, day by day, with ever increasing glory that we're asking ourselves the question, God, what are you doing here? I can see what's going on in my life here. How are you working? 
And we began to look at the unseen. Like what I talked about a number of uh, months ago about how God just pulled back the curtain for me at one point and helped me to see something that I had done years ago and what the impact of that was today. And it was like God was saying, don't lose heart. I'm working through you. I'm touching lives through you. And that we ask ourselves, Lord, what are you doing? You want to use me to show the glory, your glory to the, this watching world. And do they see the light of Christ, who is the image of God. Those who are blinded, those who are blinded by Satan need something to see. And that something to see is a vessel that's a jar of clay that's not just being repaired, but being crushed and being made into something incredibly different that's being renewed in the image of my Savior. And this image of my Savior is incredible. And it's, it's something that brings peace into my life and joy into my life because in his presence is fullness of joy. And I think if he's doing that in my life, then I'm no longer just an ordinary jar of clay. I'm a jar of clay that contains something incredibly valuable. And that incredibly valuable piece is God himself working in and through me to demonstrate to a world in a temporary world, one that's, that's, that's temporary and it's passing away, something incredibly eternal. So I, my focus becomes the eternal. My focus becomes, God, what are you doing in the future? How can you use me to transform those around me in the short time that I have? How can I bring joy to somebody who has pain? How can I help bring peace to somebody who's struggling? How can I be there for someone who doesn't have anybody else around and feels lonely and abandoned? How can I be and do? And I begin to look for those things. That's what Paul says in Philippians 4.8, that, that we keep our mind focused on, on others things, that we keep our mind focused on the, on the beauty of what he's doing and not on the difficulty of the pain. In Philippians 4.8, he says, uh, whatever is, uh, let's see, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's any excellence or praiseworthy, think on these things. And so that those become the things that we focus on. That becomes our, our direction in our life. And, and as a result, God transforms. God renews. Day by day, moment by moment, with ever-increasing glory, so that I become a witness by my very life of how God can take a broken clay pot and not just repair it where it still looks broken, but he restores it, he renews it, he transforms it to be more like his son. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And that's my urge to you today, that you fix your eyes not on what you're going through, but on what God is doing, and that you look for his hand and you find joy in him. You find pleasure in him because he is with you through it all. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your incredible love and grace towards us. Father, we don't deserve any of it. We could go through immense pain and not have you involved at all and still be in the pain at the end. But Father, we know that the pain we go through, just like Paul, you may not take it away. You don't promise to take it away. You didn't take it away. The thorn in the flesh in chapter 12. You said, my grace is sufficient for you. Father, if it's our, your grace sufficient and we still have the pain, then Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to walk through it. Make us aware of your presence as we go through it. 
Give us the peace that passes understanding that we know that you're working. Help us to focus on you as, as what you do and how you're changing and how you're transforming and remaking us. Father, though we are crushed, we respond to you, Father, with desire to be more like your son. Father, I know there was a reason why you had Job in the scriptures, a guy who was crushed but not abandoned. You were there for him. You walked with him through it. He had a lot of questions as we do, Father, but he, in the long run, in the end, just simply trusted you and that's what we do now. We come to you. Father, I pray that you would transform us. I pray for those who are in pain right here today that are, that are hearing this message. Father, I pray that they would entrust themselves and their pain and all that they go through to you. Because I know that you care. I know that you haven't abandoned them. I know that you are renewing and that's part of the process. Lord, give them strength. Give them your peace. Give them uh, 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 all that you are, all the power, all surpassing power, Father. That's what we're looking for. And so we ask for that. And we look to you. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, Father, we look for the joy beyond the pain, the joy of being with you one day. Thank you for that promise. And Lord, in the meantime, I pray that we would just trust you moment by moment, day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.